the EC Podcast exists to equip believers to make disciples and love others for the glory of Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining. I'm your host for today, Jonathan Mitchell. Today we continue listening to our fourth of five messages from the recent Awakening Men's Conference here at Eden Chapel. Today you'll hear Pastor Claude Ramsey of Reformata Baptist Church teach on biblical boldness. So far, the previous three messages have called men to repent where they have failed in fulfilling their God-given role. We've observed what biblical headship looks like, and we've been called to be unwaveringly faithful to that role that God has placed us in. In this message, Pastor Claude charges men to be bold, but not just any boldness. He calls men to be biblically bold. As he opens up Philippians 3 for us, we see that any confidence and any boldness that men have lies in the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Enjoy. Turn to the book of Philippians. And we are going to read the, the third chapter in your hearing. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me. And it's safe for you. Look out for dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship God by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And Paul says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had... I count it as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. And may share His sufferings. Becoming like Him in His death. 
that by any means possible I might attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have told you often and now tell you even with tears, walking as enemies of the cross... Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power of that enables him to subject all things to himself. Thank you. You may be seated. And I will try to make this as easy uh, for everyone. I know it has been a long day. Uh, but if you've been paying attention, Kirby Owen be preached about stringless repentance. He gave us several examples concerning um, the fact that there doesn't need to be strings attached to our repentance. Men are more, he said, more men are more often tempted with things when things are going good. Uh, a stringless repentant owns sin, confesses sin. Chris Kendall preached to us concerning reclaiming biblical headship. Jesus is the standard for us to understand headship. Chris stated, lead with love and lowliness. And he preached to us from John 13. Gabe preached concerning unwavering faith. A leader is a teacher. A leader is faithful to, uh, uh, to what he teaches. A leader uh, should be a soldier. A leader should please the commander-in-chief. A leader is a farmer. A leader is a soldier in Christ. To give you an idea of what we're going to be looking at today here in Philippians chapter 3. Uh, I'll give you the breakdown. My intention, my plan is to make some opening comments and then to exegete through the text. I'll go ahead and give you the outline if, you wanna, if you're taking notes and want to jot it down. In verse... One and two, we're going to be concerned, considering the danger of legalism as the basis of our boldness in the faith. In verse 3, we're going to be looking at salvation in perspective in light of Jesus Christ. 
In verses 4 through 7, we're going to be looking at the Apostle Paul's confession that good works aren't a sufficient cause for boldness in the faith. In verse 8 through 11 is really where our theme is. I've been assigned the task of preaching on biblical boldness. We're going to be looking in verse 8 through 11 at the root of biblical boldness. Verses 12 through 17, we'll see the fruit of biblical boldness. In verse 18 and 19... We must rise to the challenge. And in verse 20 and 21, we are going to look at the Christian's vantage point. The root of biblical boldness. Let me me rephrase the title. I'm going to preach today about Jesus Christ. The root of biblical boldness. If we are to do the things that have been proclaimed to us today, we are going to need boldness. But we are going to need to be bold and have a solid foundation and a firm footing for our boldness. And there is no other foundation that a man can lay than this, than that which is laid in Christ Jesus our Lord. Biblical boldness begins with brokenness. Biblical boldness begins with brokenness. Pride and boldness are often intermingled. They are connected at the hip many times, and they are not complementary to one another. Boldness produced by pride is sinful, and it does not honor, and it does not glorify the Lord. Matthew Henry said this, If great men be proud men, then the great, me- the great God will make them know that He is above them. One of the important things for us as Christians in in understanding the importance of having our, our footing firm, rooted and founded in Jesus Christ and in the gospel of Jesus Christ as the directing force and the power of all that we do, we must know this, that there is a God and that we ain't Him. There's not a one of us even close. Biblical boldness is born from a humble dependence upon the thrice holy Lord of glory. It's easy to draw into a well that you have dug, but that well only goes so deep. The prophet Isaiah in the book of Isaiah states in one place, With joy let us draw water from the wells of salvation. And Jesus Christ is the well of salvation. Now we live in a time, certainly, we live in a time where pride is what, in what is sinful is a very popular thing. No one can deny this. Entire parades and movements are rooted in the lust of the flesh. They're rooted in the lust of the eyes and they are rooted in the pride of life. But I have a question. Do we dare clearly identify these monsters of iniquity? I have an answer Yes, we do. The LGBTQ plus plus IAA dot 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 movement. We have the murderous agenda of the pro-choice movement. And dare I say, the so-called pro-life movement, which is nothing more than an industry that doesn't denounce the murder of children in the womb, but rather it legislates and promotes abortion by incrementalism. Are you uncomfortable yet? Oh, 
But we say these sins are easily identified by good Christian men, aren't they? These are easy for us to point these things out. But the more subtle monsters, the more subtle monsters are those who dwell in pulpits on a weekly basis. They are the kindly beasts who attend church regularly and they go to conferences to stay up to speed on the issues of the day. These are the very same beasts who are full of pride. These are the insidious parasites who feed on the applause of men and who feast at the table of secret sin. How about now? Maybe a little less comfortable? Pride of heart. Know this. Pride of heart is subtle and deceptive. It will sneak up on you. It will get you before you know it. This is why we must live constantly drawing water from the wells of salvation. That we have no confidence in the flesh, but that we take our strength, we find our hope and our peace and our joy, Gary, in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. Proverbs chapter 16, 17, and 18 states this, The highway of the upright is to depart from evil, and he who keeps his way preserves his soul. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. And the writer here states, It's better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Biblical boldness begins with humility. We have heard this interlaced throughout the sermons that we have heard up until this point today. But wouldn't it be great if there were conferences and there were series on how to be humble? But then again, who would teach them, right? Who would teach them? Who among us, who among you men here today, has achieved such a level of humility that you might loan some of your great storehouse of humility to the rest of us? Listen, if we were going to assume such things, we might as well be reverting back to the pre-Reformation days of Tetzel, where Tetzel was running around selling indulgences to people so that they might draw from the, the treasury of merit, as it were. Listen, we have no merit of ourselves. We have no goodness in ourselves. There is nothing but death in us. But my friends, there is life in Jesus Christ. Now, as good Christian men, we understand we do have a source of strength. Amen? We do have a source of strength. We do have a source of hope. And we do have a source of peace. One of the... Songs from when you're, if some of you grew up in country churches, you may know this song. I do not know how others make it through who never go to Calvary as I do, for there the healing, cleansing stream still flows with a peace that only God's redeemed can know. I claim the blood that Jesus shed on Calvary. Those precious blood stains were made there just for me. 
For all my sin, my sickness, and my pain, when I need healing, I claim those precious blood stains. There is power in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, for the remainder of our time, as plainly as I can, I plan on presenting to you Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the fountain from which we as Christian men draw from. He is, as the writer of Hebrews stated, the author and the finisher of our faith. As a matter of fact, the writers put it like this. If you want to jot this verse down, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, 2, and 3. Wherefore, brethren, seeing we are compassed about, seeing we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside the weight and the sin that does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience this race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. He despised the shame and He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God where He ever lives to make intercession for us as His people. Listen, if there is anything that ought to make you bold, Christian man, it ought to be that. Christ Himself is our Redeemer. He is our Sustainer. In Christ alone if we are to be bold men of God we must first be broken we must first be helpless we must first be hopeless now by this what I mean to say is simply this we must find ourselves to be bankrupt outside of the saving grace of God if you are leaning on Drawing from, uh, pulling from anything other than Jesus Christ, my friend, you are going to find yourself bankrupt. This means that if you are facing and founding your, your salvation, your joy, your peace, your strength on the condition of the way the church is going at a particular time, of the high you're on, spiritually speaking, my friend, you are in for a rude awakening for the Christian We are not called to lean upon the arm of the flesh. That means whether we're up or whether we're down, we are called to lean upon the steadfast faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Our God is faithful. And to know this, concerning our perspective, we can truly recognize, we can truly know that in Christ Jesus our Lord, that we have what Paul states to the Colossian church. We have all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Jesus Christ. Preacher, I just want to be able to grow in the faith. I want to know more about the Lord. I want to know more about God. How can you do that? Go before God. And the Scriptures teach us this. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally. Ask of God. Can it be that simple? Absolutely it can. Today in the remainder of our time together, let's consider Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ from the book of Philippians. Jesus Christ who is the root of biblical boldness. By way of introduction to the text, 
I would like to give some context uh, that leads to the third chapter of Philippians where we're reading from today. Because a sermon without context is just a pretext to, well, whatever the preacher wants to make it at any given time. I don't want to take this out of context. We ought not ever to take the Word of God out of context. So just as a quick summary, in chapter 1, the Apostle Paul lays out in plain terms his affections for the people of Philippi. We read this. It is rich language that he is using. In verse 9 of chapter 1, Paul states that his prayer for the people is that their love would abound more and more. How should their love abound? With knowledge and all discernment, so that they may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. In verse 14 of chapter 1, he proclaims that his suffering for Christ has caused the brethren to become confident. That is the word that the Scripture uses there. To be confident in the Lord and has made them bold to speak the word without fear. In the face of death, without fear. In verse 20, he states that it is my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that now, as always, I shall be, that, my, I, that, I, that Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. And that's when we read, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Where did Paul's boldness come from? It came from Jesus Christ. In chapter 2 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul states, If there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort of love, if there's any participation in the Spirit, if there's any affection and sympathy, then complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, and being in one accord. Do nothing, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain glory. Always considering others better than yourselves. Which leads us to the hymn of this, the Philippian church in verse 5 through 11. Let this, Jonathan quoted that, uh, let this mind be in you, right? Which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not think it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation. And he took upon himself, he took upon himself to become a man, a servant, and being found in fashion as a man, he became obedient unto death. What death? Even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also has highly exalted him, and he's given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow of things in heaven, of things in the earth, and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord of some. No, He is the Lord of all. This is where our confidence lies. In verse 14 and 6 through 16 of that second chapter, He reminds them that they are to be blameless and that they are to be innocent acting as children of God in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation. And so this leads us to this third chapter. And here in the text, we find 
ourselves greatly encouraged. And we find ourselves emboldened to fight the good fight of faith. One of the old hymns says, If you're in the battle for the Lord and the right, then keep on the firing line. That's what, that is the confidence that we have in Christ to stand Quit you like men to stand fast, to be a good soldier like we have heard, to be a godly husband like we have heard, and to stringlessly repent before the Lord of our sin. Finally, my brethren, Paul states, rejoice. He says in verse 1 and 2, Rejoice in the Lord, for to write the same thing to you is not troublesome to me, but it is safe for you. Look out for dogs, look out for evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Paul warns them, beware. Growing up, still to this day, I hate dogs. That's okay though. I hate cats. I hate animals in general. But one of the things when I was a kid that you walk around the neighborhood, I was always listening for that rattle of the, piece, the metal piece on the leash, or I was looking at people's fences to see if they had that hideous sign up, beware of dog. Paul is giving in no uncertain terms a warning here. Be aware of those who legalistically through the flesh are giving you some kind of false assurance and false confidence of your standing with God. We stand and we rise before God, not upon the basis of our deeds, but upon the finished work of Jesus Christ in Him alone. Paul says, beware of legalism, legalism as the basis of your boldness in the faith. Legalism, in plain terms, to put it simple, it's the misguided notion that will lead you to believe that your good deeds will put you in a position to be in right standing with God. But be certain... Legalism will not save you. Legalism will not save you. Which leads me to the question, are you born again? What do you mean, preacher? Do you not assume that everyone in the room is born again? I do not assume such a thing. I do not know your hearts. I do not know your minds. But my friend, God knows you. And God knows where you stand with Him. Are you standing behind Jesus Christ or are you standing in front of Jesus Christ? Standing in front of Jesus Christ will get you in a world of trouble. The best thing that you can do is fall down and hide in Jesus Christ. Verse 3, Paul states this. Verse 3, Paul states, For we are the circumcision. What a bold statement of exclusivity that he makes here. We are the circumcision who worship God by the Spirit and who glory in Jesus Christ and who have no confidence in the flesh. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. According to God's Word alone, for one end, to one end, it's stated in the first statement of the Westminster Catechism. Right? Why? For God's glory alone. There are only two religions. You may argue with me on this. 
I'll stand my ground. There are only two religions in this world when it comes down to it. There is the religion of works, and there is the religion of faith. The religion of works says just do the best that you can, and you'll be accepted by God. The religion of faith says that Christ alone has accomplished the work of salvation. The religion of faith declares that Jesus Christ Himself took upon Him the wrath of Almighty God. And that Christ, and Christ alone, was made the propitiation for our sins. The Bible states this, The just shall live by faith. Are you living by faith? Have you been born again? George Whitfield, the great evangelist, used to uh, always have people come at him. He said that it's written historically that there was a little lady that came, came at him after, apparently after one of his sermons because he always preached and he always made this statement, you must be born again. And she said, Mr. Whitfield, why must you always preach that you must be born again? And he said, my dear lady, because you must be born again. Outside of the new birth of Jesus Christ, there is no hope. But in Jesus Christ, there is the greatest of all hope. Verses 4 through 7. Let's read that very quickly as we move toward the end here, or toward the middle of the end. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. Let's notice here, we're going to see Paul's confession that good works aren't a sufficient cause for boldness in the faith. For Paul states, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, Paul states this, I have more. You want to know why? Because I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I am a Pharisee. As to zeal, I persecuted the church. As to righteousness, what a statement he makes here. As to righteousness, I was blameless. What was he basing the foundation of his faith on at that time before he met Christ? Upon the works of the law. He assumed that as good as he was able to keep it, that that was going to be good enough. For God to say, enter into the joy of your reward. My friends, Paul goes on to state here, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So we see his confession and now we move to verse 8. The root of biblical boldness. For He said, For indeed I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Is the knowledge of Christ Jesus the drive for you? Is knowing the Savior who left heaven and came to this earth who suffered under the hand of Pontius Pilate, having lived a sinless life, allowing the very man that he created to nail him to the cross and to be lifted up between the heavens and the earth, to breathe his last breath and to cry from that cross, it is finished. And to have them... 
take down his body, to put that body in the ground, to roll a stone over the sea, over, uh, put a seal on that stone that they roll over his grave. And then on the third day, when they came to anoint the body of Jesus, they found nothing less. But my friend, what I believe, this may be the only thing that I'm gonna that I'm gonna I'm preaching to you today that's just gonna be my imagination, but I believe this. That the angels, for the scripture says there was an angel, one set at the head of the feet of where body Jesus Jesus had lain, and one at the feet of the body of where Jesus had lain, typifying the mercy seat of God that God gave the Old Testament saints that between the cherubim. The blood was applied, and my friends, the atoning sacrifice for the sin of men was in Jesus Christ. We see the root of Paul's boldness being knowing Christ Jesus. For His sake, Paul said, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found... In Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Why? That I may know Him. That I may know Him and that I may know the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I might attain the resurrection of the dead. This is the root of biblical boldness. This is where you need to plant your feet. This is where you need to set up camp and live there. In Jesus Christ. Verse 12 through 17. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. This is a reality to Paul. Salvation is more than just an intellectual assent to some truths that you heard the, the overzealous preacher talk about. Salvation is where Jesus Christ takes the stony heart out of your flesh, puts the heart of flesh in you so that you are able once and for all and finally to respond appropriately to Him. And how and what is the appropriate response? It is simply this, worship God. Worship God. Give Him everything about you. He goes on and he says this, I forget those things that are behind and I press forward. I press forward to what? Toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God, which is in who? Christ Jesus. Verse 18 and 19 Verse 18 and 19, For many of whom I have told you often and tell you now, even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, and their minds are set on earthly things. This is the challenge that we must rise to. The world, contrary to popular belief, has not gotten worse than it was. For all things have continued since the creation and will continue until the Lord wraps everything up. What we do have now is just a greater vision of what goes on because we've got the interwebs, right? We've got YouTubes. 
We've got Facebook, or I guess it's Meta now, right? We've got all these things. But my friends, it's not that sin or the world has gotten any less sinful or bad, but it's just that we are aware of it. And the Scripture says, To him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. If we do not stand like men in the world in which we live, take care of our families in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, take care of our churches in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, if we do not continuously encourage one another, sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, lifting one another up, encouraging one another in the Lord, then my friend, outside of that, there is no hope for the world. For Christ Jesus is the only hope. Verse 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await the Savior. Who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. Christians. And again, I keep pointing over here like Johnny's still over here. He was over there. He's with me in spirit over here. (laughs) Again, Johnny quoted that passage from Romans 8. That is set in the face of men and women having to die for Jesus Christ. But our hope is not in this life. Just forget about getting all you can while you can in this life and thinking you'll be satisfied and you'll be happy. There is a better day, as the country preachers say, a coming. We long and we look for the time when Christ comes, whether we die before it happens or, or we're alive when it happens, when Christ comes and the dead in Christ are raised first. And then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with Him in the air, spending eternity with the Lord and the Savior, Jesus Christ. There's where your boldness needs to be. That's where we find our confidence. That is our vantage point. What we always, we always see things as though we're outnumbered, we're outgunned, we, we are outmanned. I can't remember uh, the exact uh, historical statement that's made, but something to the effect of an army surrounding a group of two or three men, a whole army surrounding them, and the one looking to the other men, and he says, he says to his friend, we've got them right where we want them now. Listen, there's no better position for us to be in than where we are right now. The key, the important thing is what are we going to do with what we got? We have eternal life. We have the source of hope and strength that this world stands in need of. And the world has not got a remedy for itself. God's people have the remedy. The remedy is quite simply this. In 1 Corinthians 15, 1, 2, 3, and 4, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you mean to say, preacher, 
that you think if I simply go and I just time and time and time and time and go on for eternity and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, you mean I don't have to add anything fancy to that? I'm saying no, you need not add anything fancy. You should not add anything fancy. If you've got a friend that's adding anything fancy to the gospel, you need to smack them in the back of the head. Paul stated, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It, and it alone, is the power of God unto salvation. Thank you again for joining us today on the EC Podcast. We pray that this message blessed you and encouraged you. We want this to be more than just something that we hear, but let's put this into practice. So let's go and be bold because we believe the truth that Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning right now. As always, if you do not have a church home and you're in the South Knoxville, Seymour, Sevierville area, our doors are open for worship at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. And every Wednesday, we have midweek teaching at 6.30 p.m. If you're outside the area, we pray that you find a Bible-believing, gospel-centered church for fellowship and worship. Until next time, God bless.